times when I consider all the things I've done and looking back now I may have been wrong but I did it my own stubborn way only way I knew how and since then I've taken some hi Andrea how are you doing today hello doing well on this sunny sunny day this is our first podcast. Is there anything you want people to know about you or me? Oh, I'm so excited. Can I talk about you? Sure. And then I'll talk about you. <laughs> okay. So Mireya Vela, besides being an outstanding human, good friend, and an excellent writer, is also great at talking to people. So I love sharing this space with you because you get to know people on a deep level and you make a lot of inferences that you love to share and get people talking. Mireya will talk to people she doesn't know when we're out and about, and I watch people light up when she does. So I'm very excited to be a part of this juncture, this this journey. Can I just say that my daughter hates it when I do that? I'll go out to Target and she'll say, how many friends did you make? And it's kind of a weird kind of dichotomy, right? Because I would identify as an introvert, but I also love to connect. There's so many things that I love about you, um, including the fact that you know how to put a party together. And to me, that's just like a magical skill. What I love about you as a person is that you are always open. You're very welcoming. You're you're very inviting, but you come from it from a point of view of understanding that internally so many of us are artists and you get artists. And I love that about you. Well, thank you. Well, that's been a fun thing so far in interviewing for our first podcast because our guest is consummately an artist. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Tim. Tim is one of the bestest friends that I made when we were at our MFA program. So I got to see him through lots of different lenses. I got to see his creative side. I got to see him being incredibly funny and goofy, which I love. But I also got to see him karaokeing. And there is nothing like experiencing Tim at a karaoke. Um, so I got to see all these different sides of him and I loved it. Like I loved being his friend and getting to know who he was creatively. And you got to know him in a slightly different way, right? I don't think you met him during the program or got to talk to him as much as I did. Near the end of the program, because I joined the Saffron cohort from the Enlo cohort, which means I jumped ahead. And then I was with all of you and Tim and I had a lot of shared mentors. We did not workshop together, but us both being in the fiction portion of the degree, we had shared mentors. And when we would go to fiction workshops for our residencies, Tim asks deep level thinking questions that always helped the seminar go better. And because he's inquisitive and he's eloquent and he really cares about the collective when we're together as as writers talking. 
I've also gotten to workshop with him in his personal workshop that he provides for a service, a paid service that is outstanding. He has really good operational skills. He gives deep level feedback. He increases the sense of ensemble amongst the writers. So I'm actually doing another one with him right now. And it's quite an honor. And then agreed, like funny, kind, and an outstanding stage actor who you and I got to experience, you know, viewing him on the stage. And it was honestly one of the better pieces of theater I've ever seen. And that's really saying something. He always makes me cry when I go see him in theater because he's got such a wonderful presence and he's so I guess, I mean, I don't know what I would call it, intense. He's very present in his characters. He's very intense. And giving. So he gives to the other actors. It's it's really a beautiful thing to behold. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that it's so interesting that you say it like that, because I feel like he's like that as a writer, too. As a writing partner, he's really, really good at like opening avenues and letting other people in. He's really great at creating a loving space for other people. Perfectly said, indeed. So we're excited for his upcoming projects and can't wait to share his words with everyone. Wonderful. Um, let's move on to the interview with Tim Cummings. Hi, we have Tim Cummings with us today, a writer and artist extraordinaire. We're going to go ahead and start with our first question. Um, tell us about your work and your passions, Tim. Primarily, as of late, writing. I have my debut novel coming out next spring. Recently earned my MFA in creative writing with the two of you. Before that, for four decades, I worked as a professional actor. In 37 years, because I started acting when I was a child, I amassed probably over 200 projects across theater, film, television, commercials, voyo, VO, um, dance, dance theater, new media, pretty much everything. But it doesn't feel like a, a seismic shift. It's storytelling. And I think that I just evolved in how I want to live in and share story. So in other words, I'm not, I'm not so much like in, inhabiting other people's characters I'm creating my own and living through them because that's more what you do as a writer. It's not the only thing you do, of course, but you certainly have more control over your whole universe. And I think that there's some of us um, that are really addicted to story as a way to cope. Sure. Yes. Yes. Um, I think about it all the time. I think, where did it come from? Because it was so omnipresent in my life from such a young age I have one of my earliest, most vivid memories is being in my backyard. I grew up in um, Port Jefferson, Long Island, New York. We had this big backyard and there was this gigantic oak tree and there was a picnic table under the oak tree. And I have this vivid memory of being a little boy, meaning before even going to preschool. And I can hear the noise of the acorns like dropping onto the picnic table because the acorns just kept dropping. And I had one of my elder brother's um, classic 70s composition notebooks. You remember those? They're still around. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but I was 
I was sitting there and I was going like this across the pages of the notebook, scribble, scrabble, scribble, scrabble, loops, dots, circles. I don't, I don't know what I was doing because I didn't know how to read and write then. I was still a child, but I was writing a book. I knew like in my brain that I was writing a book. And when I think about that, I think that has got to be some extraordinary past life shit coming through. Right. And what a passion that you've been chasing all your life. It's so extraordinary. And whatever started then, and then I think it manifested just through going to the library, taking out as many books as I was allowed to take out and devouring them, devouring books. Wonderful. And I think that really, really helped me work through a lot of the chaos that surrounded me growing up. Well, Tim, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, It might seem like a little bit of a turn, but from what you were saying, I see some connection. What does being human mean to you? Being human. Well, the first thing that comes to me is being an animal because we're animals on this planet, like all the other animals. We are animals, and we share this earth with many other animals. And I love animals. Mireille, I know you know I love animals, and you love animals, so I'm a big animal person. So being human for me, first and foremost, is like I'm just another living, organic creature that shares this planet with so many other ones. But being human, we've been blessed with, cursed with, a lot of knowledge, a lot of evolution. And in the grand scheme of things, we're actually here for such a short amount of time. It's a blip in the timeline of existence. Have you ever seen that image? Mm -hmm. That timeline? The little speck of dust. (laughs) Yeah, and and your existence is like the tiny little white dot. And that's your 80 years on Earth. Yeah, and you're just like, wow. So... Things like that really help me put it in perspective. Being human, I also have to say, is for me the things that I think are most present in my life, which are story, uh, experiencing story, giving out story, teaching story, sharing story. Stories are a big thing. Love, like I'm really into love and like loving people and building community and family. The physical, I'm like super, super, super sensitive. So like the sensual aspect of life is a really big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Exploring the spiritual is a big thing for me as a human. Not that I adhere to any one dogma or faith or religion or all those words that are used to describe it, but I certainly feel so open to a- a- another realm, another dimension that's just around us, a spiritual realm. And for me, it doesn't exist in all the normal tropes that you often find in in lore and folklore and horror. Yes, it is all of that, but it's it's more stuff too. It's stuff that we can't name because we don't know what it is. Maybe we'll know when we pass on, but all that is part of being human for me. Yeah. That's so interesting to me, Tim, because as you said, I have a really strong connection with animals as well. And for me, the spirituality in there, if there is a spirituality in that experience, instead of thinking it as, or in a a situation where I'm elevated, I feel like just the fact that I'm an animal and I'm at that level, that's the aha moment. Does that make sense? So it's not 
a transcendent experience that in the other way, it's a transcendent experience in the fact that this is all I am and that's good. Absolutely. It's so tied up with, I mean, I'm, I'm so obsessed with animals. I see animals in them like reptiles ever since I was a little kid, like I used to go out into the fields and I would much to my mother's chagrin, I would be bringing home that pillowcases full of turtles, snakes, toads, lizards had this big, big hole in the backyard that was like half dirt and half water and like drop them all in there and name them and take care of them. And I was, I've just always been obsessed with animals, with cats, with dogs. Of course, you know, my obsession with octopuses yes, and spiders. I love eight legged creatures. I love mythical creatures so much like griffins and mermen and all of the mythical beasts that you find in our fantasy and sci-fi epics. I'm very curious what you were naming the lizards and the turtles. I feel like I named a lot of the animals after characters that I loved in books that I was reading at the time. Like I remember naming a lot of the animals after the characters in A Wrinkle in Time. At that time, I was reading through the whole time quintet, which was A Wrinkle in Time and um, a wind in the door and a swift, swiftly tilting planet and many waters, right? Those were the sequels to A Wrinkle in Time. And so there was like Meg Murray and there was Charles Wallace and there was Mrs. Who, Mrs. What's It, Mrs. Witch, the man with the red eyes. I, I would name them after characters. I know I named some animals after the characters in Watership Down, like Hazel and El Herrera and... Um, Big wig and Kiha, that was the seagull. So yeah, I think I would name them, I would name them after people that had influence in me, over me in like story realm. Elliot, oh, forget it. I mean, I named my dog Gertie. She's named after the little girl in E.T., but I named a lot of creatures Elliot because I was so obsessed with Elliot when I was a little boy. I love that. Right, I love it too, Mireya. And I'm wondering, were these friends, you know, like childhood friends around you, or were these the players before you became an actor that were going to be the ensemble at the time? Or what do you think? No, I think it was more scientific because I'm a Capricorn. As you know, Mireya, there's a very scientific aspect. All three of us. You're a Capricorn too. That's right. So there's, there's, a, there's a scientific aspect to being a Capricorn, and I have a, I have a very deep admiration of, infatuation with. Science. I mean, I wouldn't consider myself a scientist, but there's like a whole shelf back there of of books about science, especially books about trees, uh, books about ocean creatures, books about reptiles, books about plants and flowers. Uh, I'm really fascinated with science, and I think it's a Capricorn thing. So when I was little, I think all of it was like it was more scientific, the way that you would study sciencey things in science class. Yeah. It's an analysis of the world around you. Yeah. It wasn't so much imaginary friend type of relationships. Yeah. I didn't have those either. Tell us one thing that people misunderstand about you. One thing people understand, misunderstand about me. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that comes up for me, I mean, I, I think there are several, but the, the strongest thing that comes up for me is, and it's been, it's been said to me in very kind of uncomfortable situations, um, that I'm mean. Mm. What? Yeah, that I'm mean. So I remember when I was in acting class at NYU and we had a very revered professor 
who was everybody's favorite and everybody wanted to be the teacher's pet for this guy. And at the end of, I think it was our second year, third year, you know, they do this whole very intense week of evaluations and you have to do your final project where you're performing a scene or doing a monologue or doing several scenes or doing like poetry. And there's so much preparation. It's so hard and so amazing. Then you sit in the class with like, all of the students in the studio and all of the teachers. And this guy kind of gives you an evaluation of who you are and of your work. Right. And everybody just kind of sits there and receives it similar to being in writing workshop where they're, where they're examining your work. Right. And he said to me, you're one of the most brilliant performers that's ever come through this program. And you're so present with your work, the passion that you have for your work, it's unprecedented, but you have to be careful of that meanness. And I was like, is this a joke? What? And and then it happened again a couple of times in my life. I've definitely been told before, like, you come across kind of intimidating or like you have kind of a wall up. I didn't think you were the friendliest person at first. And I totally get that. I think a lot of the times it's not, are you intimidating, but are people intimidated? I think it's a lot of people projecting a lot of their stuff. I mean, listen, I get it. I do know that at times in my life, I've probably created a little bit of a barrier around me, uh, especially when I was like very goth. Obviously, that's a signal to the world, like stay the fuck away from me. This is why I have uh, green hair and white skin and black nails and wearing all black. And, you know, it's kind of a very sort of horror-esque kind of look, but... Things were tough growing up where I grew up. I was like mercilessly bullied and beat up constantly and sexually assaulted and made to feel really bad for being effeminate and uh, different and artistic and creative. And it, it was rough growing up. I had a, uh, my next oldest brother was severely epileptic and it was, it was growing up in chaos. He would have seizures every night in the room across from me. And it, it, it was like there was a demon in the room. And then, of course, I lost my mom when I was a teenager. And so I think all of this chaos and pain probably created a little bit of a, a barrier around me that was probably construed from... Uh, <laughs> whose kitty is that? I love that kitty. Whose is it? Hi, kitty. Who is it? That's Poe. That's Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> Please keep going. Yeah, he's he's in on the convo because he, he knows what I'm talking about. So... So basically, I, I, I think, I think, and this is not abnormal, and I'm not the only person who's done this. This is a huge part of life. It's like, what is the armor that you put up around you to protect you from the world? And when I got away from where I grew up, and I and and I got to NYU, and I started to come into myself, and I was able to come out of the closet and like have a an amazing physical experience with a dude finally. I started to open up a little bit, but I get where all of that comes from. It's just, I think it's a common trait of experiencing trauma and not having it dealt with until later in life. Like I didn't even start going to therapy until I was in college. So the times in my life where I have been told I'm mean, I think people are misunderstanding me. I'm not, I'm not mean. Like I'm not, I'm not mean. I mean, but you are very confident and you do have a presence. 
I could see why some people would be intimidated by that. But does that come across? I mean, maybe that comes across as meanness for some people, but I also just, I also just, it's a misinterpretation and um, it hurts to hear that. But I, uh, because, you know, when I do hear it, when it comes back around, I always think maybe this is true. Like it makes me kind of look at my life and be like, fuck, like, am I being mean to people? I feel like the only person I'm mean to is me. I am the worst to me. Yeah. So, I mean, you're very self-reflective. So I don't see you being mean to others, but I can see them potentially misinterpreting your confidence and the way that you own a space. You want to say anything else about that meanness towards yourself? I mean, I feel like the meanness towards myself comes from a lot of pressure that gets put on you when you're an artist and especially one who's, you know, been bullied or made to feel severely marginalized or, you know, just growing up, I just feel like I didn't really have parents, you know. I did. My mom died when I was young. My dad and I never got along. Never, ever, ever. So I just felt like I never had parents. And I think that you put a lot of pressure on yourself to really be an important and kind of significant um, figure in the world, almost like the, the, the cliche of like getting back at your bullies as it were, you know, or feeling like feeling like you haven't been seen or you've been misunderstood. Yeah. Um, feeling like you needed validation. But it, it's also really difficult being uh, the child that does not have a disability, you know, because a lot of the attention, a lot of the focus is going towards that child. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, and I think I think my parents and family saw me as somebody who was like, this kid wants to be in the library, let him go to the library. This kid wants to be bringing home snakes and turtles, let him bring home snakes and turtles. This kid wants to spend time reading books and like writing and drawing weird shit, let him do that. So I think I was displaying an independence. Okay, so so getting back to the meanness, I think you put a lot you put a lot of pressure on yourself to succeed, especially in this like American capitalist don't look at me if you're not number one manifesto you know when i just thought i won't have any worth unless like everybody knows who i am and we've talked about this before in the past berea we've talked about this because i've been sort of working on a book about this which is basically like after so many years of being an artist of being a performer of being an actor of living inside these stories of going inside these characters I think one of the things that I came to, one of the epiphanies that I came to was that what I really wanted out of it was to heal and to know who I was more than I wanted exterior validation that came in the form of fame, which I don't think I could handle, and money, which I think would really separate me from other people. And I did not want to walk boldly into situations where I would be separated from other people because I would be so fucking lost, so lost. Oh, that's beautiful. As I just grew up and, and, and acquired the natural wisdom of life that we acquire as we go through life, I started to realize your reasons for doing this don't have anything to do with what other people think it's supposed to, to do for you or what it's supposed to mean. It's got to be your own thing. It's got to be your own path, your own journey. So just claim that and you'll be okay. It's not about you becoming rich off of it. It's not about you becoming renowned for it. It's not even about you becoming respected for it. It's really just about being present. I think a big part of it is losing my mom at such a young age really helped me to understand the ephemeral nature of life 
And theater and being an actor is a really good way to stay rooted in how ephemeral things are. Because with theater, and you guys know because you've seen me and stuff, you're just there in that moment. You are there in that moment. You are present and it's gone. I mean, there are photographs of it, but it's not like a movie. It's, it exists in the moment and it vaporizes into the ether forever. And in a way, that's, that's kind of what our lives are. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you, it seems like in ways you've already answered, but have you ever been scapegoated? And how did you find your way back to a healthy space? I think I've been scapegoated in um, past relationships with dudes who were just trying to figure out, like, what's the best way to live in the world and be happy and healthy and successful as a gay man in a world that doesn't necessarily embrace or understand it or want it. Of course, it's different now, right? Than it used to be. And it's getting better. I hope. I mean, who knows what's going to happen if the Supreme court um, takes away more civil rights from people. But I feel like a lot of the relationships that I've been in, there was kind of some scapegoating going on in terms of like, not feeling like we were meeting in the in, in in the right space to make things happen and be happy and healthy and because i <laughs> you know i feel a lot and i and i express it i'm demonstrative and i i think because of the way i grew up i'm really really um outspoken about my needs it's hard being evolved isn't it tim it's hard being evolved and i think as somebody who like speaks their needs and knows what they want and growing up in a very like Irish Catholic, Irish Italian Catholic working class, you know, in my house, whatever was going on, you said it and you fought for it. If you had to like wicked fights and this like out with it being really confrontational, I guess I have that, but I, in a good way, in a healthy way. And I think in that respect, sure. There's been some scapegoating. What events in your life have changed you? Definitely the the many deaths that I've experienced in my family. I've experienced an inordinate amount of deaths in my family. Both of my parents are gone. Three of my siblings are gone. There's just me and my eldest brother and sister remain. So a lot of loss in my family, which every time it happens, it changes me. And it's... <laughs> It's, it's weird. It's kind of like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> here we are on this roller coaster again. But how is this different? And it's like there are more loop de loops in the roller coaster or something, or there are more drops than last time. It's faster. The curves are sharper. It jolts you around a little bit more. Because I think the older you get and the more you experience life and death, your attitude toward it changes. So I remember when I lost my brother Glenn back in 2018 and it was so sudden. I, I really, really struggled to come to terms with it and be okay. And that was interesting because I normally, when stuff happens, I can pretty much be okay. I can be okay. This particular thing really put me in this place where I was like, oh man, I'm not okay. And it's hard to admit that to people. And it's, hard to sit in that emotion and it's hard to do this and it's hard to do that. And, and then of course it's really hard to acknowledge that difficulty. So I really, really felt like I was 
like the little boy in The Shining at the end when he's running through the labyrinth in the snow. <laughs> Jack Nicholson is like, Daddy! Chasing him with the, with the axe. That's kind of how it felt. But then he's like, he knows what to do. He's like, oh, I'm going to backtrack. I'm going to like move backwards in my own steps and then like jump behind this hedge and trick that bastard. Once I kind of got on top of it, I felt like I was just like, I, I moved backwards in my own steps and then like, Woo! I guess Jack Nicholson would be like, if, if we're talking about death, we'd be, he'd be, be like the grim reaper. Like I'm after you and your family and you're next. <laughs> you know? It's just like, please, please. I mean, I remember when it happened. I said that to Paul, I was like, I can't, I was like, I couldn't go to sleep. I was so scared. I could not go to sleep. And I was, so tired from crying all day. And then we like turned the lights out and I was like, I can't sleep. <laughs> I'm going to sleep. I've got to go. The Grim Reaper is in this room. It was crazy, crazy what happened around that time. So I know that the deaths that I've experienced have changed me and have also really made, it's like a, it's like a big part of who I am too. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, if I was like a fucking grief counselor, I'd probably be a billionaire. Maybe that's what I should be doing with my life. You know, it's so interesting that you say that because I've actually researched um, being a death doula. Oh, a death doula? Okay. Yeah. That's amazing. And that also sounds like the name of your character in like the best like Mexican VR video game epic ever like you as like a like a griffin with with wings made of stars and like the letters d d on your forehead i'm, I'm writing this all down tim m v d d like that would be your character the death doula and you would like swoop in and you would like talk these like beautiful like mexican prayers yes Yes. I mean, I, I don't, I just don't feel like a lot of people are comfortable with loss and death and the Mexican culture sees this very differently. Well, talk to me about what a death doula is and does. They help people through the death process. Uh huh. Like if someone is like a, about to die, like if someone is like. So, so it's like a birth doula, but in reverse. It's beautiful standing over the body and anointing it and having artwork on what the the typically put in, I would call it like a cardboard, excuse me, kind of box, but like to they get to write all over it and 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 be there for for hours, days. It's really beautiful. Yeah, I think it's like the labor instead of labor of of birthing, it's the labor of letting go. Well, I mean yeah, I could see that being a really powerful thing for you to do. Um, and it makes me so happy that something like that exists. And death, I feel like it's something they should teach people. Yeah. And not just something that we have to experience through story. It's very powerful experiencing it through story. Of course it is. In this weird kind of way, I feel like all the death is prophetic in my life. When I saw the movie of... Um, Watership Down. Here we are in Rabbits again, but I know you love rabbits. Well, the end of that book um, and the way they did it in the movie is so profound. Hazel, the, the protagonist, gets a visitation from the Black Rabbit of Inlay, who's basically God, like the rabbit God. And he, he kind of shows up and he appears. He's like a flickering rabbit head in the sky. And he's like, Hazel, 
You're tired, Hazel. You want to come and join my warren in the sky? And Hazel's like, yeah. And he just lies down. And then he sees soul come out of his body and you see them flying through the sky together. Okay. I was a little kid and I feel like I died in that moment. I cried so fucking hard. My parents were like, what's wrong with this kid? And in this weird kind of way, it's like story was telling me, was prophesizing for me one of the main things that I would live through in this life, which was experiencing a lot of death. It was so moving to me because I didn't really understand what it was when I was little. Another example. Okay. My sister, my eldest sister took me to see the movie Flashdance. What was I? Eight, nine years old. I loved it so much because I was like a little fledgling gay boy and Flashdance. And Flashdance is, is actually pretty, pretty fucking deep. Like if you watch it now, I'm like, this movie's deep. This movie is sad. This movie knows what it's about. Like trying to make it as an artist. There's a scene in Flashdance where Jennifer Beals, like mentor, the old, the old lady, Hannah, who's like, who used to be the ballet dancer passes away. She goes to see her. And the, the lady in the nursing home is like, she died yesterday. And then there's like a sad song plays. And there's like a whole like montage of Jennifer Beals being sad. I, hyperventilated in the movie theater. My sister had to pick me up and take me out of the theater. I don't know if the experience of death in stories was affecting kids as profoundly as it was affecting me, but I felt it deeply. And I, I think to this day that it had something to do with maybe this always being like a part of my timeline. You know, when I was four, my mom took me to see Bambi. And apparently when the mother died, I lost my shit. I started hysterically crying. You know, like, I, I, I feel like I'm one of those people that understands loss on a pretty deep level. Um, so I always wonder if I'm navigating life, dealing with loss on a constant basis, do I really want to experience loss when I'm reading as well? In this weird kind of way, I just feel like hearkening back to what we were discussing earlier about being human. Mm -hmm. Maybe even as a child, we just know, we just know that this is part of the human experience that everyone that we know and love is going to transform to this other thing. It's going to leave what it is that we know of them cross the rainbow bridge as it were, or is that just for dogs? Is that for humans too? <laughs> Crossing that bridge. Maybe there are some of us who, are just offered a, a more profound glimpse of it uh, at an early age. And maybe it's the people that end up being artists. That's interesting. Ha have you had experiences like that, Andrea? Oh yeah. Such a feeling child. So, so deeply connected to the events around me and just a sponge, you know, that was something that wasn't accepted that well by all who I grew up around, except my father, the artist. I actually like, I admit I like experiencing death in a book. When I'm reading, I feel like it's a friend and I am able to connect and go through it. And, and like you, Tim, and perhaps you too, Mireya, I've had so much death, so inordinate amounts and tragic death and young death. Mm -hmm. Well, 
kind of flipping that on its end. Um, Tim, what makes you feel like you belong? Besides tater tots. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What makes me feel like I belong? Oh my God, I had them the other day. We went to Edendale Grill for brunch. We've never been to Edendale Grill for brunch, but we went and that was one of the things they had on the menu. They have them at Bright Spot. No, they don't have them anymore. Mm-hmm. Used to have them at Bright Spot. That's how I found out that you love tater tots. I love tater tots. I think I was a tater tot in a past life and somebody ate me. Yeah, I think so too. It's a Capricorn thing. Yeah, being Irish Italian, all I want to do all day is drink whiskey, eat potatoes, drink red wine, and eat pasta. Yeah, I hear that. That's all I want to do. Uh, what makes me feel like I belong? When, I, when, when you ask me that, what comes up for me? Is this kind of starburst of all the things that I love, right? Because I love things. Like, I love things. I love, like, my musical idols so much. Susie Sue and Kate Bush and Bjork and Robert Smith. I never knew. Yeah, I never knew you and I had the Susie and the Banshees and the Kate Bush combo love for, for all my adult life, you know? David Bowie, Mark Bolin, all of the alternative rock, punk, post-punk, new wave, glam rock, gothic, all of that kiss. Oh my God. When I was like four years old, I had pictures of those dudes on my wall. I was obsessed with Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Peter Chris, and Ace Frehley. And I would play around my room, like, now I'm the safe guy. Now I'm the devil. Now I'm the cat. Now I'm the purple star guy. So rock, music. It makes me so happy. Weirdly, it makes sense because my mother was Southern Italian and she was an extraordinary opera singer. And I grew up around a lot of music. And so my love of all of my music and all of my music idols makes me feel like I belong. My love of books makes me feel like I belong. I mean, while I'm really, 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 really super stoked about um, my book coming out next May, um, I just finished my edits. It was really scary and really difficult, really challenging. My hope is that the book has been made better from the experience of going through the edits and, you know, having to get out of, get out of the way. Um, I told this to Andrea the other day. I don't know if I told it to you, Mireya, but at a certain point during the process, I feel like my characters came to me and they were like, dad, we're totally okay. Just calm down. And I was like, really? And they were like, yeah, we're okay. Don't worry about it. They're not going to take our story away. I was like, okay, fine. So I let go of a lot of stuff and really excited for it to launch into the world. It's exciting. And I'm also really terrified. Did a pizza cat make the cut? Yeah. Fuck yes. That song is in <laughs> so ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> so ridiculous. When I read this book, I'm like, who wrote this? Where did this come from? <laughs> Do you remember presenting at the electric, was yeah. it the electric lodge? Electric and lodge, then, yeah. And you explaining that on the way there, you had come up with a beat for that song. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you want to sing a little bit of Pizza Cat? Let me see if I remember it. 
You went to watch the pizzas getting made, but now you're back, so won't you take a spade because your cat's dead and it's a pizza cat and he died from the pizza because he got too fat. Pepperoni spade, dig holes in the ground, stuff crust, paws up, wave them all around. <laughs> stuff crust, paws up, wave them all around. Yeah, so I did, I did that at the electric. Yay. The fact that he was uh, like so, so into how the tune had come to him because you had said this is and you gave the song a genre and then you said and this is how the music came to me and I was like oh my god so it's not just just words it's like yeah. it came to you as a musical piece which I thought was magic. Yeah, it came to me a little like the song, um, the the more acoustic sound off of Bauhaus's album. The sky's gone out. There's a lot of like stripped down acoustic, ding 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 ding. And so it it I imagined Damie, he's the guy who sings it. He's the the punk rocker manga goth guy who sings it. I imagined him like with this kind of guitar, like you know, playing it and and singing it. So the book coming out, huge huge component of that. Like I'm 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 deeply excited, deeply curious, deeply terrified. I'm excited for you. Thank you. And I'll be here for you when you start getting terrified. I know you will. I'm curious where the journey's going to take me. I'm really curious um, in terms of like marketing it, promoting it, talking about it with people, connecting with people, connecting with kids, connecting with also with, with people, people our age who, you know, there's younger readers and then I like to call them younger minds. I'm obviously not a kid, but I'm a younger mind. And I love reading books for this age group. So people of our generation, you know, Gen X, who really, really love those seminal stories from, from that age that we were, the mid-80s when all those stories were so, so amazing. The Goonies and E.T. and Stand By Me and stuff like that. I hope that the book opens a portal and, and whatever comes through. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to experiencing it and, and maybe other ways that the book goes out into the world, you know, and like if somebody options it or if, if, if miraculously it gets turned into a really powerful and beautiful series or a movie. And then, um, the follow up books, you know, I, I finished my newest novel. I sent it to my agent. I'm waiting to get feedback on it. I love that. So we'll see what journey that takes me on. So I'm in a place of like just being really curious, really excited, also a little scared. I think that's okay. I think being scared keeps you vulnerable. And I think being vulnerable is a huge, huge part of being alive. And if you lose that, I think you lose everything. And it's a really good thing to be vulnerable. I think it's been given a bad rap. Yeah. You know, the, the premise of this story came out of, and I think I've told you guys this, but after my mom passed away, her cat tried to kill herself. I saw it happen. It broke me like nothing ever has. And I never knew what happened to the cat. I don't know if she succeeded in committing suicide or if she just walked off somewhere and died or if she, my dad took her to the vet and had her put to sleep. I don't know what happened. And it haunted me for decades. And when we were in school... And it was time for us to figure out what are we going to do for like our quote unquote dissertation. It came up. I'll never forget it, Mireya. We were in the hotel just hanging out one night. I think we'd gone to karaoke or something. And I was like gazing out the window and I was thinking and I was having this really deep moment. And it just came up. What happened to that cat? 
what happened to the cat. And then I wrote the book. I mean, that's the inciting incident of the book, but all, everything else around it, Tessa, my Irish, Mexican, American, 12-year-old female protagonist, where the hell did she come from? We know where she came from. We know where she came from, Tim. <laughs> and, and all of her friends and this world that's built around it and everything that happens, that all was like such an explosion of when you let the muse in, it felt in some ways like, you know, the medium who, who, um, the kind of psychics who, uh, draw, you know, their hand just goes. And then when the spirit comes in, they like make a word. Psh, 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 psh. That's kind of, that's kind of what it felt like because I read it sometimes and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I'm just the messenger here. Yeah. I feel that the same way about my work. It's profound, right? Yeah. And it is those like incredibly gnawing questions that you can't let go of. Like, even if you're not going to find the real solution of what happened to the cat, you need a narrative to go with that. And if it's not going to come to you as part of like a linear conversation you could have with your father, um, then that's something that you need to provide for yourself. Yeah. And it's like, it's like the ultimate form of self-love and self-empathy, I think. Giving yourself answers. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, that's very, very true. It's hard for me to talk about it too. I, I think about this a lot. You know, it's like, is this something that I should talk about? Because if I get too personal about it, I don't want to rob people of the experience that they need to have with the book. So if people ask me questions like, where did the suicidal cat come from? I feel like I don't want to say anything about that. I don't want to, I, like movies and books and stories. And as you know, Maria, artwork too has to have a really fine balance of you in it and some neutrality so that people can project what they need to onto it. Yeah. You know, the best actors, the best writers allow for some negative space. And so I feel like it's it's deeply personal why I wrote this book. It's deeply, deeply personal. But I don't want to talk so much about that in promoting it. Yeah, I hear you. I don't know. What do you what do you, what do you think? Should I just say, I don't know, it just came to me? No, but I, I think you'll probably find some comfortable way to balance what you want to keep from saying to the public so that they can have their own insertion. And some of the inspiring parts of it, because, I mean, that's pretty interesting to me to hear you talk about it, right? And so if I was getting that book and, and heard you say, well, you know, there was a family member or whatever, you know, a little bit to toward it, it would really make me want to read the book, perhaps even more. Yeah. And I think kids would find it inspirational. Yeah. So maybe to the adults, that space might be necessary, that neutrality. But for kids, they might need to understand that they're emotionally connecting with this art piece on this whole other level. With, with, with somebody who created it for a specific reason. That's right. Which is like just needing, to, needing an answer to something I'll never have an answer to. That's right. Uh, as somebody who taught, I actually taught art to middle school grades. I've taught it K through 12. I really spent a lot of time with middle school grades. And any time a story would even start out of my mouth, if somebody asked me a question, it came out every room, pencils down, every, I said every room, every face, concentrating on me, 
with such intent, like no other age group I've worked with, because, you know, they're in that time of life where they are really trying to figure things out for who they're going to become. So mm-hmm. what a gift you're going to be giving them. I hope so. I really, really hope so. Uh, so I hope that answers that question. That's certainly kind of the energy that I'm in. I get asked a lot these days. Have you quit acting? Are you done? Did you give it up? Is it over? And I don't have an answer for that. I think I'm just on hiatus. I think I'm just evolving. I hear you. We talked about that. We talked about acting earlier and what I ultimately wanted slash want from acting isn't what most people want out of it, I think. And maybe I just have to redefine that for myself and, and keep evolving and keep growing. I kind of feel right now, like if the universe wants me to do something, it will tap me on the shoulder. You guys know, because you've seen me and stuff, I can't just do anything. Like it's got to be something really interesting. Right. You're all in. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I, I, I don't know. I will say that everything came to a screeching halt because of the pandemic. And I'm not alone in that. I think so many people's lives and artistic journeys and journeys with their, with their families, with their kids, with themselves, so much came to just a screeching halt. But for a lot of people too, I think it was an opportunity to like step back and and maybe you know have a different perspective on like what is this finish line you're racing toward? If that's what you were doing. Also, just to say, not to be too snarky, but acting's like really annoying. It's really annoying, man. It's like, it takes up so much time and so much energy. And when you do theater, they pay you diddly dick. And it's really, really hard after so many years to just like um, justify that. I mean, of course, if you're, if you're famous, that's a different story, right? What, what's diddly dick in American currency? Um, it's like pr- probably three and a third cents. Got it. Got it. After taxes. Thank you. And don't make people Venmo you because the IRS is coming after that shit. Oh, yes, I know. Thank you for teaching me that. Because the government in America is not going to go after any of the billionaires. No, they're going to go after the small, the small people who are just, just have a little side hustle on the side just to try and survive. You know, gas is $14 a gallon. Gross. Every time I go for groceries, I'm like, I can't afford to eat anymore. Does this mean I'll finally get skinny? Like, everything is crazy. You know, sometimes you just feel like an orphaned child in this country. We have all of these leaders. We have leaders beyond leader, beyond leader, beyond leader in every state of this country. And everything feels like it sucks. Who are these people that are supposed to be helping us? It does. Oh, my God. Do not let me go here. I can't go here. Give me give me a stone. Give me a stone. Okay. Um, how may our listeners find you and your work? Hi, listeners. Um... I mean, I have a website. It's timcummings.inc, I-N-K, as in Octopus Inc., as in Writer Inc., not I-N-C, like Incorporated. So timcummings.inc uh, is my website, and it has information about who, who I am as a writer and an artist and information about the upcoming book and other publications and reviews and interviews I've done for Los Angeles Review of Books and information about i'm going to start teaching at ucla uh, writers program early next year so my website is good i'm on instagram my tag is octospark 
Very cool. And and can I just say that your your website is one of the most creative, coolest websites I've ever seen. Really? Really? Oh, shit. Thank you. The last time I saw it, do you still have a bunch of your drawings and art on it? Yeah, it's all my artwork. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and the artwork of Oscar Rodriguez, who is the brilliant, 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 amazing artist who's creating marketing and promotional artwork for my book. Yeah, that's a great shout out. Yeah, he's somebody that I, his, whose work I stumbled across accidentally and I boldly reached out to him and said, hi, I know you don't know me <laughs> from Adam, but I'm a writer and I live in LA and I have this crazy idea and I really like your artwork. Can I just take you out to breakfast? And I sat him down and I proposed to him that I wanted to create a series of posters that are like visual depictions of the world of my book to release in increments up until the book's birthday and then use for marketing and promotion, you know, um, like T-shirts and posters and all this kind of stuff. In addition to whatever the book cover is going to be, because I don't know what that's going to be yet. Um, that's that's like I'm very excited about that. So it's almost like having illustrations in the book, even though we're not doing that. You know, and I have a whole opinion about illustrations in the book. I think that this, sometimes they are so necessary and a lot of audiences aren't open to that. And I'm talking about illustrations in the book even for books that are meant for um, adults and an adult audience. Yep. I mean, you know, we'll see if maybe future editions of the book, if it does really well. Like, you know, for instance, right now they're doing incredible graphic novels of classic stories. It's so amazing. You know, they'll do like the graphic novel of Charlotte's Web or the graphic novel of The Wizard of Oz, the graphic novel of The Outsiders. It's it's really cool that people are reimagining these stories with such a visual component. And some of these artists, their work is so sick. Yeah, so through my website, the website is populated with my own freaky little drawings. I love it. I didn't want to do that at first. I had other images, like stock images that I had found. But my best friend looked at it and was like, no, knowing what I know of your weird little drawings, I don't know why you're not putting your own stuff on there. So I was like, all right, I'll try it. And I like it. Thank you. I love it. I think it's worth looking at just for the art. Well, um, unless you have something else you want to add, Tim, we're going to say goodbye to you. We really appreciate you joining us and for giving us so much of your time. No, honestly, I really had a great time talking to you guys and getting in there about living life and being an artist and being a writer and just making your way through life the best way that you can, surrounding yourself with the best people that you can. You guys just always usher that in. That That's the energy that, that you guys usher in all the time. And I really, really appreciate it. And I, I really feel like I had just a great time talking to you about this stuff. Thank you, Tim. Let's bring those happy boxes up the sky. Oh, Mireya. Tim Cummings sang to us. Wasn't that such a treat? It was. Well, this is Mireya and uh, Andrea saying goodbye for now. Bye. Our music is by Town Hall. And you can find us on thescapegoatguild.com where we have our personal web pages and the podcast social media sites. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Bye.